Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Chapter 7, Part 2 Before we could either of us say another word, we were alarmed by a soft knocking at the door of the bedroom. I had not yet sat down, and I went first to see who it was. When I opened the door, Madame Fosco confronted me with my handkerchief in her hand. "'You dropped this downstairs, Miss Halcombe,' she said, "'and I thought I could bring it to you as I was passing by to my own room.' Her face, naturally pale, had turned to such a ghastly whiteness that I started at the sight of it. Her hands, so sure and steady at all other times, trembled violently, and her eyes looked wolfishly past me through the open door and fixed on Laura. She had been listening before she knocked. I saw it in her white face. I saw it in her trembling hands. I saw it in her look at Laura. After waiting an instant, she turned from me in silence and slowly walked away. I closed the door again. Oh, Laura, Laura, we shall both rue the day when you called the Count a spy. You would have called him so yourself, Marianne, if you had known what I know. Anne Catherick was right. There was a third person watching us in the plantation yesterday, and that third person... Are you sure it was the Count? I am absolutely certain. He was Sir Percival's spy. He was Sir Percival's informer. He set Sir Percival watching and waiting all the morning through for Anne Catherick and for me. Is Anne found? Did you see her at the lake? No, she has saved herself by keeping away from the place. When I got to the boathouse, no one was there. Yes, yes. I went in and sat waiting for a few minutes but my restlessness made me get up again to walk about a little. As I passed out, I saw some marks on the sand, close under the front of the boathouse. I stooped down to examine them and discovered a word written in large letters on the sand. The word was, Look. And you scraped away the sand and dug a hollow place in it. How do you know that, Marianne? I saw the hollow place myself when I followed you to the boathouse. Go on, go on. Yes, I scraped away the sand on the surface, and in a little while I came to a strip of paper hidden beneath, which had writing on it. The writing was signed with Anne Catherick's initials. Where is it? Sir Percival has taken it from me. Can you remember what the writing was? Do you think you can repeat it to me? "'In substance, I can, Marianne. "'It was very short. "'You would have remembered it word for word. "'Try to tell me what the substance was "'before we go any farther.' "'She complied. "'I wrote the lines down here "'exactly as she repeated them to me. "'They ran thus. 
I was seen with you yesterday by a tall, stout old man and had to run to save myself. He was not quick enough on his feet to follow me, and he lost me among the trees. I dare not risk coming back here today at the same time. I write this and hide it in the sand at six in the morning to tell you so. When we speak next of your wicked husband's secret, we must speak safely or not at all. Try to have patience. I promise you shall see me again, and that soon. A.C. The reference to the tall, stout old man, the terms of which Laura was certain that she had repeated to me correctly, left no doubt as to who the intruder had been. I called to mind that I had told Sir Percival in the Count's presence the day before that Laura had gone to the boathouse to look for her brooch. In all probability, he had followed her there, in his officious way, to relieve her mind about the matter of the signature, immediately after he had mentioned the change in Sir Percival's plans to me in the drawing-room. In this case, he could only have got to the neighborhood of the boathouse at the very moment when Anne Catherick discovered him. The suspiciously hurried manner in which she parted from Laura had no doubt prompted his useless attempt to follow her. Of the conversation which had previously taken place between them, he could have heard nothing. The distance between the house and the lake, and the time at which he left me in the drawing-room, as compared with the time at which Laura and Anne Catherick had been speaking together, proved that fact to us, at any rate, beyond a doubt. Having arrived at something like a conclusion so far, my next great interest was to know what discoveries Sir Percival had made after Count Fosco had given him his information. "'How came you to lose possession of the letter?' I asked. "'What did you do with it when you found it in the sand?' "'After reading it once through,' she replied, "'I took it into the boathouse with me "'to sit down and look it over a second time. "'While I was reading, a shadow fell across the paper. "'I looked up and saw Sir Percival "'standing in the doorway watching me. "'Did you try and hide the letter?' I tried, but he stopped me. You needn't trouble to hide that, he said. I happen to have read it. I could only look at him helplessly. I could say nothing. Do you understand, he went on. I have read it. I dug it up out of the sand two hours since, and buried it again, and wrote the word above it again, and left it ready to your hands. You can't lie yourself out of the scrape now. You saw Anne Catherick in secret yesterday, "'and you have got her letter in your hand at this moment. "'I have not caught her yet, but I have caught you. "'Give me the letter.' "'He stepped close up to me. "'I was alone with him, Marianne. "'What could I do? "'I gave him the letter. "'What did he say when you gave it to him?' "'At first he said nothing. "'He took me by the arm and led me out of the boathouse "'and looked about him on all sides, "'as if he was afraid of our being seen or heard.' Then he clasped his hand fast round my arm and whispered to me, "'What did Anne Catherick say to you yesterday? I insist on hearing every word, from first to last.' "'Did you tell him?' "'I was alone with him, Marianne. His cruel hand was bruising my arm. What could I do?' "'Is the mark on your arm still? Let me see it.' "'Why do you want to see it?' "'I want to see it, Laura, because our endurance must end.' and our resistance must begin today. That mark is a weapon to strike him with. Let me see it now. I may have to swear to it at some future time. Oh, Marianne, 
Don't look so. Don't talk so. It doesn't hurt me now. Let me see it. She showed me the marks. I was past grieving over them, past crying over them, past shuddering over them. They say we are either better than men or worse. If the temptation that has fallen in some woman's way and made them worse had fallen in mine at that moment, thank God my face betrayed nothing that his wife could read. The gentle, innocent, affectionate creature thought I was frightened for her and sorry for her and thought no more. Don't think too seriously of it, Marianne, she said simply as she pulled her sleeve down again. It doesn't hurt me now. I will try to think quietly of it, my love, for your sake. Well, well, and you told him all that Anne Catherick had said to you, all that you told me? Yes, all. He insisted on it. I was alone with him. I could conceal nothing. Did he say anything when you had done? He looked at me and laughed to himself in a mocking, bitter way. I mean to have the rest out of you, he said. Do you hear? The rest. I declared to him solemnly that I had told him everything I knew. Not you, he answered. You know more than you choose to tell. Won't you tell it? You shall. I'll wring it out of you at home if I can't wring it out of you here. He led me away by a strange path through the plantation, a path where there is no hope of our meeting you, and he spoke no more till we came within sight of the house. Then he stopped again and said, Will you take a second chance if I give it to you? Will you think better of it and tell me the rest? I could only repeat the same words I had spoken before. He cursed my obstinacy and went on and took me with him to the house. You can't deceive me, he said. You know more than you choose to tell. I'll have your secret out of you, and I'll have it out of that sister of yours as well. There shall be no more plotting and whispering between you. Neither you nor she shall see each other again till you have confessed the truth. I'll have you watched morning, noon, and night till you confess the truth. He was deaf to everything I could say. He took me straight upstairs into my own room. Fanny was sitting there doing some work for me, and he instantly ordered her out. I'll take good care you're not mixed up in this conspiracy, he said. You shall leave this house today. If your mistress wants a maid, she shall have one of my choosing. He pushed me into the room and locked the door on me. He set that senseless woman to watch me outside, Marianne. He looked and spoke like a madman. You may hardly understand it. He did indeed. I do understand it, Laura. He is mad. Mad with the terrors of a guilty conscience. Every word you have said makes me positively certain that when Anne Catherick left you yesterday, you were on the eve of discovering a secret which might have been your vile husband's ruin and he thinks you have discovered it. Nothing you can say or do will quiet that guilty distrust and convince his false nature of your truth. I don't say this, my love, to alarm you. I say it to open your eyes to your position and to convince you of the urgent necessity of letting me act as best I can for your protection while the chance is our own. Count Fosco's interference has secured me access to you today, but he may withdraw that interference tomorrow. Sir Percival has already dismissed Fanny because she's a quick-witted girl and devotedly attached to you and has chosen a woman to take her place who cares nothing for your interests and whose dull intelligence 
lowers her to the level of the watchdog in the yard. It is impossible to say what violent measures he may take next, unless we make the most of our opportunities while we have them. What can we do, Marianne? Oh, if we could only leave this house, never to see it again. Listen to me, my love, and try to think that you are not quite helpless so long as I am here with you. I will think so. I do think so. Don't altogether forget poor Fanny in thinking of me. She wants help and comfort, too. I will not forget her. I saw her before I came up here, and have arranged to communicate with her tonight. Letters are not safe in the postbag at Blackwater Park, and I shall have two to write today in your interests, which must pass through no hands but Fanny's. What letters? I mean to write first, Laura, to Mr. Gilmore's partner, who has offered to help us in any fresh emergency. Little as I know of the law, I am certain that it can protect a woman from such treatment as that ruffian has inflicted on you today. I will go into no details about Anne Catherick, because I have no certain information to give. But the lawyer shall know of those bruises on your arm, and of the violence offered to you in this room. He shall, before I rest tonight. But think of the exposure, Marianne. I am calculating on the exposure. Sir Percival has more to dread from it than you have. The prospect of an exposure may bring him to terms when nothing else will. I rose as I spoke, but Laura entreated me not to leave her. You will drive him to desperation, she said, and increase our dangers tenfold. I felt the truth, the disheartening truth of those words, but I could not bring myself plainly to acknowledge it to her. In our dreadful position, there is no help and no hope for us, but in risking the worst. I said so in guarded terms. She sighed bitterly, but did not contest the matter. She only asked about the second letter that I had proposed writing. To whom was it to be addressed? To Mr. Fairley, I said. Your uncle is your nearest male relative and the head of the family. He must and shall interfere. Laura shook her head sorrowfully. Yes, yes, I went on. Your uncle is a weak, selfish, worldly man, I know. But he is not Sir Percival Glyde, and he has no such friend about him as Count Fosco. I expect nothing from his kindness or his tenderness of feeling towards you or towards me, but he will do anything to pamper his own indolence and to secure his own quiet. Let me only persuade him that his interference at this moment will save him inevitable trouble and wretchedness and responsibility hereafter, and he will bestir himself for his own sake. I know how to deal with him, Laura. I have had some practice. If you could only prevail on him to let me go back to Limeridge for a little while and stay there quietly with you, Marianne, I could be almost as happy again as I was before I was married. Those words set me thinking in a new direction. Would it be possible to place Sir Percival between the two alternatives of either exposing himself to the scandal of legal interference on his wife's behalf or of allowing her to be quietly separated from him for a time under pretext of a visit to her uncle's house? And could he, in that case, be reckoned on as likely to accept the last resource? It was doubtful, more than doubtful. And yet, hopeless as the experiment seemed, surely it was worth trying. 
I resolved to try it in sheer despair of knowing what better to do. "'Your uncle shall know the wish you have just expressed,' I said, "'and I will ask the lawyer's advice on the subject as well. "'Good may come of it, and will come of it, I hope.' "'Saying that, I rose again, and again Laura tried to make me resume my seat. "'Don't leave me,' she said uneasily. "'My desk is on that table. You can write here.' It tried me quick to refuse her, even in her own interests. But we'd been too long shut up alone together already. Our chance of seeing each other again might entirely depend on our not exciting any fresh suspicions. It was full time to show myself, quietly and unconcernedly, among the wretches who were at that very moment, perhaps, thinking of us and talking of us downstairs. I explained the miserable necessity to Laura, and prevailed on her to recognize it as I did. "'I will come back again, love, in an hour or less,' I said. "'The worst is over for today. Keep yourself quiet, and fear nothing.' "'Is the key in the door, Marianne? Can I lock it on the inside?' "'Yes, here is the key. Lock the door and open it to nobody until I come upstairs again.' I kissed her and left her. It was a relief to me as I walked away to hear the key turned in the lock and to know that the door was at her own command. Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.